All right, let's begin once again, Romans 12, Romans 12, 1 and 2, kind of the verses for the year so far as we continue looking at transformation, transformation, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Okay, let's uh, read these two verses together once again, and then we'll pray together. Romans 12, starting in verse 1. Ready, begin. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you do desire transformation in all of your children. Thank you that you have given us everything we need for that to happen. Your word, the Holy Spirit, the mind of Christ. We have everything we need for life and godliness. So we thank you for the, thank you for that provision, Lord. And now, Father, we ask you once again, speak to us individually, corporately as a church as we continue this sanctification process. Father, uh, sometimes there are seasons of, of joy and seasons of, of perhaps significant steps forward and and we celebrate that and then father sometimes uh, we stumble sometimes there are valleys sometimes lord there are deserts and dry seasons and and we're not sure we're even moving in the right direction anymore but father thank you you say in romans that you work all things for the good to those who love you are called according to your purpose so father whether we had a great week, whether we had a so-so week, whether we, we struggled this week, Father, we, we're glad we're here. Thank you that you are faithful to complete what you have begun in us. So, Lord, now we just don't want to be hearers. We want to be doers. We yield and, and just open our hearts and minds to the truth of Scripture. And all God's people said, Amen. So we have been talking about transformation, right? And, and this wonderful process. And how long does transformation take? A lifetime, right? A lifetime. Uh, and, and that's kind of challenging for many of us because we live in a culture that's instant this and instant that, right? Microwave, right? And, and sort of that mentality pops over into our Christianity and we want microwave Christianity. We want to pop in, set the dial for an hour and a half on a Sunday and boop, pop out and be good to go. Unfortunately, you know, your, your walk with Jesus is probably more like a crock pot, right? You're just in there simmering and you're simmering and you just wonder if anything's happening because it's taking a long time, right? And, and that can be kind of challenging because we want to go. We want to go and we want to go. And I think one of the things that we've been learning through this process the first six months of this year is that, man... God goes at his own pace. And like I said, sometimes we kind of 
move forward and we're feeling pretty good. And then other times, it's, sometimes in your life, do you ever feel like you come to a grinding halt? And you're like, Lord, what happened? What happened? And, 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 and we go through these struggles and maybe we're plateauing and maybe we're not as motivated and enthused anymore. And, and it's actually in those moments where, where I believe God in His grace reveals things in our lives. And suddenly He starts to peel back layers and show us things about ourselves. And, and it's not in a way that's going to condemn you and you know, put you in the corner and put you to the side. It's like, no, you know, He... Here's where you are in your process, and, and this is what's come up, and this is what I want to work on next. And, and I know for many of you, the last six months, you've made some strides, but those strides have honestly come through struggle and through trial, but also through your faithful obedience. Some of you have been very much challenged by something you've heard through God's Word, and you took it and you applied it and have been applying it through the week. And, and it, it's, it's taken six months. And it might take six years or 60, but the, the key is what? That we're moving. That we're moving. And that, that's our desire here. That's our, I know God's desire for all of His children is to be more and more like Jesus. And so we're going to continue on this, this series on, on transformation. If you look in verse 2, it says, We are transformed by what? The renewing of our minds. Right? And, and God's given us the mind of Christ. He says we're, we're sanctified, we're set apart, we're made holy, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds, which is primarily through what? Word of God. And the challenge for many of us, even in the church, is that if you're serious about wanting to develop a biblical worldview, you're almost immediately going to be confronted with the world's worldview. And you're going to be confronted with your own worldview. Well, in my opinion, well, I think. And, and if we're not careful, what happens is we might even think we have a biblical worldview, but it's actually more of like a hometown buffet worldview where you sort of pick this and you sort of went and you pick that and you sort of create this worldview plate. And some of it might be legit because it lines up with that. And some of it, quite honestly, needs to be kind of taken off the plate that's the challenge the challenge is is when we've even brought good things into our faith and, and walk with jesus and these good things may not line up with scripture and you're like oh but i always thought but i always thought and you're like well and so sometimes transformation isn't that you're doing a lot of bad things and transformation the struggle isn't that you're sinning and that you're falling into temptation could be sometimes i've learned the challenge for many in the church is that you're good people turn to the person next to you and say i'm a good person and go ahead pat them on the back say yes you're a good person right you're a good person so here's the challenge here's the challenge if i'm a good person and you're a good person and ernie's okay and 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 Diana's really good, and Sally almost walks on water, right? So if we're surrounded by a bunch of good people, who needs transformation? You see, the challenge kind of for many of us in the American church is that we're good to go. Honestly, I know many of you. You're very, very nice people. You come to your house, you feed me, you feed my family, you drink cupcakes. I mean, you're just nice people. Do nice people need to be transformed? 
Or is that for all the really bad people out there? It's all for 50, right? But me, you know, because then, then we get offended. Trent, what are you saying? What are you saying? What are you, what are you saying about me? What a transformation? Are you saying, you know, and then we get, we get offended. We take it as disrespect. That's our challenge. Many of us in the church, our challenge isn't the bad stuff. It's this desire, it's the choice you, want, you and I have to make every day, throughout the day, to continue in transformation, to continue to be willing to God, peeling layers back and saying, no, no, this instead. When all along, deep down, you're like, but I'm good. Aren't I? I mean, I'm not hurting anyone. I provide for my family. I, I you know, I, I know the Ten Commandments. I don't break many of them. You know, I'm a good, I'm good and happy. I'm a nice moral person. Do I need this transformation thing? Why doesn't the pastor just move on? Right? Why doesn't he just move on? Well, the challenge in the American church is that the American church, the past several years, has slid really into what we call pragmatism. Pragmatism. It's like, okay, tell me how to deal with this issue, Pastor. Here's a sermon series on how to do this and how to do this. Here's three steps. And, and so we become very practical, very pragmatic. And, and so when people come to church, they just want a how-to. The pastor is doing how-to, how to communicate, how to have the best marriage ever, how to handle your finances. So the church has become very pragmatic, very practical. We don't deal with doctrine anymore. Because doctrine is... That's for the pastors. That's for them Wednesday nighters. That's for them seminary. Who needs doctrine? Well, honestly, you know, for six months we've been reading Romans 12, 1 and 2, which means there are 11 chapters before that. See, the 11 chapters before 12 were doctrine. Where was the Apostle Paul talking about this incredible gospel and all the wonderful truths we have as, as believers? And then finally in Romans 12, he says, okay, now this is what you do. So part of our challenge is, is to, you know, there's, there's, you want, you want to, here's a little nugget for some of you. Good people need transformation. That, you know, that, for some of you, just write that down and chew on that for a week. Because honestly, you know, kick it into cruise control, gink, you know, and, and we lose the edge. We lose the desire to read and we lose the desire, right? I mean, what have I been telling you the last few Sundays? When you come to church, bring your what? Bring your Bible and a, and a pen or a pencil and some notes. Why do I say that? Because when you come, if you're serious about being transformed, if you believe this is God's word, if you believe the Holy Spirit will speak to you, you should come to church, whether it's this church or another church, or you go to a Bible study. You, whenever you're around God's word and you're trusting that the person is speaking God's truth, bring your Bible and a pen and say, Lord, I believe this is your truth. I believe you've given me the mind of Christ and the Holy Spirit to help me understand and bring application. Bring something to write with. And then say, Lord, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. Not to take notes, but I'm ready to write down what you tell me to do with this. If you will do that, many of you will get unstuck. But see, sometimes we're scared to do that. 
Because what if he really does talk to me? What if he does really, a verse is said and he says, hey, uh, that's for you. I'd write it down, Lord, but I forgot my pen today. (laughs) Because we're human and how many of us forget if we don't write it down? How many of us at the age we write it down and we forgot where the paper went? Right? Write it on your arm. <laughs> you got it, There are certain real practicalities to our faith, guys, and one of it is when you come to church, you've got to ask the Lord and you've got to be open to Him really speaking to you. Because otherwise, why are you coming? Why are you coming? What, 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 is, it? what is it, right? And, and we've been talking about the last few weeks, why are you coming? What's the point? Why are you here this morning? And we've been learning that, that, that the purpose, if we had the right mindset, biblical mindset, our first and foremost, transformation is, is not about me, it's about who? God, right? Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify or praise your Father in heaven. By this, my Father, your Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Do you see? Transformation, being more and more like Jesus, isn't so you get brownie points and pats on the back. Transformation is so that people go, dude, I remember you in high school. I didn't like you. You were a bully. You hung out with the guys and got high. You did all that. What happened? You see, transformation, bearing fruit, is so that our lives manifest change. And that change makes people go, hmm, what happened? Because here's the thing. In this valley, there are a lot of good moral people who aren't believers. So if on a Sunday we're gathering and we're just a bunch of good moral people, why would they want to come? What's the point? If if, If church is about a bunch of good moral people getting together to have a good moral time, well, there's a lot of good moral people sleeping in right now. What difference does Jesus make? But if we walk with Jesus and we're serious about transformation and letting the Holy Spirit have His way, those people out there are going to go, huh, maybe we should check that out. Because there's a couple there and they weren't doing really well and they, got, they both got lit for Jesus and Jesus transformed them and now I know that couple is reconciled and getting back together. That's a testimony. Because there are couples in, the, in this community who are struggling And if a couple here gets reconciled and they hear about it, maybe they'll want to get to know Jesus too. See, what God does in your life, how He transforms you, isn't for you. It's to glorify Him so that more people want to know Him. Amen? That's the challenge. That's, that's, all right, see, this is is already the, the challenge of the mindset for good and morals. It's not about us. That's the crazy thing about church, guys. What we do together on Sunday is supposed to be for Monday through Saturday. Sunday isn't for Sunday. Right? I, I, I use the analogy of the huddle in football. Right? Between plays, they all, 11 guys, huddle up. The quarterback gets the call in his headset. He tells them to play. They all go to the line of scrimmage, and then the ball is hiked, and everyone does what? Football isn't about the huddle. Football is about after the ball is hiked. 
with an objective to get to the goal line, right? Church is not about Sunday. Church is the huddle. This is the huddle. This isn't the end all. This isn't the... This, this is not... We celebrate when, we, when the Lord comes and we go to heaven. Amen? That's the goal. Sundays is the huddle. And we celebrate and we worship. And God, you write down your play for the week. And then we say amen at the end. You go have coffee and donuts, but you have your play for the week. You have your assignment. Because when, when church is done, the ball is hyped. When church is done, that's when, that's when you got the opponent lined up on the other side. You see? When the ball is hyped, the collisions happen. That's when the violence starts in the football game. They say, they say guys get so hurt in football at, at the professional level because they're running so fast that when they, when they tackle each other, it's like a small car accident. That's why there's concussions and so the injuries are so bad. They're running so fast, it's like two cars colliding. That's NFL. That all happens after the snap. The huddle is the safe zone. So when we leave here and we say, amen, God bless you, hike. Ah, big old, you know, 300-pound guy wanting to take your head off coming at you. Well, that's life. That's when it all happens. So Sundays we celebrate it, we, we enjoy it, but it's the huddle. In one sense, it's just the huddle because there's an enemy and they're huddling too. They're huddling and they're waiting on the other side of that line of scrimmage. Well, actually, they're probably in this room right now. Ah, don't listen to that. Ah, yeah, that's just, yeah, don't, you don't need to hear that. You're good to go. See, the enemy is in here. I'm aware of that. I'm aware of that. There's spiritual warfare that happens in the middle of the church service. I'm not scaring you, not freaking out. I've been church service in San Diego where demon-possessed person gets up and does kind of crazy stuff. I understand that. There is the reality of spiritual warfare, even as you're sitting here. I don't, that's just biblical truth. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. You're the, you're the spiritual warfare scholar, <laughs> right? It's happening right now. So, you know, we're here. We love you, I love you, and, and our desire is to help you to understand what it is to renew your mind. And the unique challenge that many of us face is that we're good people, nice people, and we're doing our best. And, and in that, we can get kind of comfortable, kind of complacent. And, and you know, I just want to encourage you with that. We're transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? In fact, we ask ourselves, why are you here? Why did you come today, right? And turn to Hebrews 10, and let's, let's look at a passage from Hebrews 10 that hopefully will help you answer not just why you're here but what you're supposed to do when you leave here. I read so Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, right? Hebrews is after Philemon, the Timothy books. Hebrews 10. Now again, from Hebrews 1 through the middle of chapter 10, it's been doctrine about the incredible 
character and nature of Jesus Christ and, and the new covenant. That's what he's been covering, right? All this doctrinal, incredible doctrinal truth has been the first ten chapters of Hebrew. And then he gets real practical. Hebrews 10, we'll start in verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, okay, so that, that's kind of a synopsis of the incredible doctrine he's been covering for ten chapters. Here he gets practical. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with water. So first thing, new covenant, put your faith in Jesus, have a relationship. You can, let, you can draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. All right? Verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, profess for he who promised is faithful. All right? We can hold unswervingly. And then verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. This morning we're going to focus on verse 24 and 25. Let's read that again. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So in verse 24, and let us, who's the us? Us. The church, us. Us, okay, so this is, look at here, very practical. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So if you're part of the us, raise your hand, okay? So, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Who's the one another? Okay, so if you're an us, put your hand up. Now look around, and there's all the one another's. Ooh. Whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. It doesn't say, and let the pastor for everyone else on to love and good deeds. But see, that's what a lot of us think. That's the pastor's J-O-B. The pastor is supposed to spur us all on and exhort us and encourage us. That's what he's there for, isn't it? It's him and us. One more time. If you're a part of the us, put your hand up. Faith in Jesus, part of the church. Look around. See all the one another's. Whose responsibility is it to spur them on? And don't point at me and say you, because that's wrong. I'm going to duck, and it's going to go there and right back to you. Right off the bat, here's, here's transformation. We, as the church, are commanded as a continual present tense verb to be spurring one another on. Hmm. You see? When was the last time that word consider? I put it in your notes. Look at that. I put some definitions just so you can think about it, chew about it, chew on it during the week. Look at consider, the definition of that word. To put one's mind down on something, to think about something very carefully, contemplating with continual consideration so as to render mutual help and counsel, to take careful note of each other's spiritual welfare. 
Present tense, continuous consideration. When was the last time, and I will give you permission not to raise your hand, when was the last time, based on that definition, you considered someone else's spiritual health and well-being? And I'm not talking crisis, financial health crisis. I'm just talking when things are quote-unquote good. When was the last time you used that definition to consider somebody's spiritual health and well-being? I thought that was the pastor's job. The pastor's supposed to go around and meet everybody and get to know them because he's supposed to know where everybody's at with Jesus. Isn't that the pastor's job? According to these verses, whose job is it? And let us, what? And let us, okay, it's all right there, let's read it together. And let us, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll stop right there. And let us, so who is supposed to be doing the considering? Me. If, you're, if you put your hand up as part of the us, you're supposed to be doing the considering. When was the last time you considered somebody else's spiritual well-being? Somebody else's spiritual health. See, this is that this is that American church model thing. Well, that's what the pastors and the elders and the paid hired guns are. They're supposed to know everyone's spiritual well-being. We're just supposed to attend, and then they're supposed to attend to us. No, 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 no. See, here's transformation. When you will stop and say, Lord, wow, 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 Lord, I didn't realize I was supposed to be contemplating, considering the spiritual health, well-being of the person next to me. See, this goes, you, want, you, you want to get real practical? Husbands. Wives. Parents, grandparents. When was the last time you, you, you spent time with the Lord and you said, Lord, would you show me where my family members are with you? Would you just show me their spiritual condition? When was the last time you considered them? That's, that's, Transformation. That's transformation. Don't turn there. I'll look at the. Here's a verse, very powerful verse. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Okay, I know, I know. Hang with me, okay, because this is one of those ouch messages. Because the American church is all about my interests. My interest in the child care. My interest in the music. My interest in the facility. My interest in how good the preacher is. My interest in how comfortable it is. My interest in if I like the paint. My interest if I like... It goes on and on in 25 years of ministry. Believe me, 
the church has bent over backwards to meet your interests. And, and then all of a sudden you get a message like this. And you're like, whoa, 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 bait and switch. Don't like this one. What's Chad preaching on this week? You know? And let us contemplate, consider the spiritual well-being of brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's, let us not look out for our own interests. Right? I put, it, I put in your notes, when was the last time you said, I'm going to church today for the benefit of so-and-so? I didn't know I was supposed to think like that, Pastor. I thought I went to church for what I was going to get. When was the last time you went to church for the benefit, the spiritual benefit of somebody else and they didn't even know it? They didn't even know it. Because look, look at the verse. Let's keep going on. Hebrews 10. Let's keep going. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That word spur, some versions have provoke. There's a strong word. Provoke. Look at the uh, definition. Spur, provoke. Is to sharpen. A rousing of one to activity by incitement or encouragement. To incite. Okay, the word picture is a riot. To irritate. Of course, in a good way. To irritate. There's an English word paroxysm, which is a sudden, violent emotion or action that's related to the Greek word. Proverbs 27:17 is iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. When was the last time you intentionally, intentionally, proactively did something to spur or provoke someone to take a step forward in their transformation? You personally said, I'm going to spur someone on. I'm going to provoke them. I'm going to irritate them. So turn to the person next to you and say, I have permission to irritate you. And how many were irritated this morning already? Yeah, we got a hand back there. This word irritate is not nag. Let me, it is not a biblical definition of nag. It is not nag. It is not play someone's Holy Spirit. It is not criticize. It is not keep score. When it is irritate, it is provoke. It is incite. It is to come alongside them and say, let's go, let's go, let's go. Right? It, the, the word picture for, for this word also is, if, if you've ever had, anyone ever been a passenger of a car where the driver is falling asleep? Okay, we have some big hands right there. How many of you get a wee bit nervous when they're falling asleep? And you're like, uh, should I say something? You know, we're doing that little bumpy, bumpy, bumpy thing. And right, Anyone? Right? How many of you, something's happened when they're dozing off and you go, hey! Anyone? No? Right? The word picture here is if someone's getting kind of drowsy and you're just kind of going to sleep and, and to spur or provoke them, you're like, hey! Wake up! What are you doing? Right? Let us consider. Hmm. I have to consider. I got to contemplate. Where, where's, where's Bill at with the Lord? And then I am called, according to the Bible, to spur him on toward love and good deeds. And it says, I am to spur him on. I got to seek the Lord. Lord, how can I help him be more loving? How can I help him bear more fruit in his life? It's not for me to be loving and good deeding toward him. 
I'm to, I'm to say, okay, where is he at with the Lord? How can I help provoke, incite, encourage him toward being, to being more loving and bearing more fruit? But I thought that was a pastor's job. No, this is the we. Let's read it again. You've got to catch the we here. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So who's supposed to be doing the considering? Uh, no hands there. Oh, a few hands, a few hands. Who's supposed to be doing the considering? Who's supposed to be doing the spurring? Ah, yeah. Yeah. See, suddenly your faith becomes your faith. And it becomes dynamic. And you're involved. And you're engaged. And you have responsibility. And you're in people's lives. And you're all of a sudden being used by God. That changes everything. Everything. When you accept your responsibility as a part of the body of Christ. To be considering one another's spiritual being. Parents, where are your kids with the Lord? Husbands, where's your wife with the Lord? Wives, where's your husband with the Lord? Grandparents, where are your grandkids? Individually with the Lord. Kids, where's mom and dad with the Lord? We're to be considering one another and lovingly irritating each other. Toward what? Love and good deeds. When a church catches this and accepts this, then that church is alive. There is life because the Spirit is moving Monday through Saturday. Amen? There's life, right? I I didn't get the memo, so I had to call home for this shirt. Because apparently somebody said we're going to wear Hawaiian shirts. You know, uh, my family and I had to... Wonderful opportunity this past week. We were in Kauai for the first time as a family doing something like that. But if you've ever been to Hawaii or heard about Hawaii, right, you talk about the Aloha spirit, right, the locals and how nice and friendly they are, right, the Aloha spirit, and you get off the plane, hey, everyone's all chill and everyone's all cool with each other, right? Well, what should be the spirit of the church? See, we get the Aloha spirit, and everyone loves the Aloha spirit, and that's pretty cool, right? You go to Hawaii, and everyone's nice and friendly and helpful. It's the Aloha spirit. And I was coming home last night, late on the plane. I'm like, Lord, what's the spirit of our church? Hmm. And where does it come from? What is it man-made? Is that just you know because we happen to be good people and friendly people? Is that what people catch on to? No, truthfully, my desire for Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship, and I believe God's desire for His church, is that's not the Aloha Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. When people come in here and they go, there was something about that church. There's a Spirit there. Let it be the Holy Spirit, guys. Let it be the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Right? I kind of think that's 10 million times more than just the Aloha Spirit. That's the supernatural spirit. Amen? That's my desire. As we all take steps in transformation, as we consider one another and we spur one another, the Spirit can move. And there's life. 
and there's joy and there's love. And that's what draws people. Look at verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Look at the definition. You know, sometimes we think that not going to church is not a big deal. Look at the definitions on the back of your notes. Give up, forsake. To separate connection with another. To neglect, abandon. Word picture is desertion. Leaving destitute or in distress when you should be helping. Not continually neglecting meeting together. You know what that verse means to me? It's a big deal when you're not here. Not because you got a little frowny face from pastor on the enrollment. Oh, you know, I don't want to miss church. Pastor's going to be calling. Where were you? Why is it a big deal when you're not here or connected to a local church? What's the big deal? Why would they use the word of desertion? Leaving in distress. Come on, man. It's just, I just do my own thing on Sundays. I don't need church. Why is it a big deal? Disobedience. Why is it a big deal? Look back at verse 24. What are we supposed to be doing with one another? Spurring us on, right? Where's a wonderful place for that to be happening? Oh, Sundays. If you're not here, the body of Christ suffers. The body of Christ misses out. Because you're not here considering and you're not here spurring. See, here's the thing. There are people in this room that are going to minister to you in more profound and powerful ways than I ever will. Because they have a relationship with you. Because God puts you two together in this season of life. But if you're not here, how is that going to happen? Now, the early church, when it said give up meeting together, it wasn't just Sundays. The early church met quite frequently. And some people just started doing the Lone Ranger thing. And he brought, you know, they brought some pretty severe correction. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. When was the last time you proactively chose to encourage someone in their spiritual walk? Not when they're in crisis. Because crisis is easy. Some of you are going to go see Carol and Doris. That, I mean, easy in the sense like that's very visible. There's a quote-unquote need. So there's a need. So I'm going to get emotionally connected. So let's go. When was the last time you said, I want to go and I want to be an encourager to somebody in, for their sake, even when things are good? See, I, I like to share this, um, this picture with you because I... I think it's helpful, right? I look at this as a church. The Bible says that we're, try can you kill the light? The Bible says that we're, we're light. So I kind of like, oh, there's the church, right? There's Bill. He's light. There's Ernie. There's, right? And then on Sundays we gather, boom, right? This is church. This is the church service. This is you. Right there. Find yourself. No, right there. Right there. Right? So this is church. And then when church is done, we say amen. And we do this. Monday through Saturday. The problem with this model is that it just reinforces individualism, which is the American church. We gather, and then we scatter. 
maybe some on Wednesday, and then we scatter. The truth is, according to Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, we are to be in one another's lives all the time. All the time. It's one another. It's one another's. So this is great. Sundays are great. But please, when we leave here, you're still part of the body of Christ. In fact, in, in fact Hebrews, I mean, 1 Corinthians 12 says, one part of the body can't say to another part of the body, I don't need you. But that's what a lot of people in the American church do. Let's gather. Let's, let's, let's get something from Sunday. And then we scatter because I don't need anybody. Until there's a crisis. See, Hebrews 10 and 24 and 25, the challenging part, he's not talking about when you're in crisis. He's talking about when things are good. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let's consider one another, let's spur one another, even when things are good. Now, the challenging part, that word encourage means to come alongside. Scotty, I like using you, so I'll use you instead of a, To come alongside. So if I say, there's Scotty, I've got to consider Scott. Okay, I'm called to consider Scott. Where is he at, Lord? Okay. We meet together Sundays, Wednesdays. We sit back. I'm called to, it says, let us encourage, which just means come alongside. Come alongside to be there for him, to help him keep te- taking steps forward. Here's the biggest challenge. Many of you are givers and servants. You have no, many, some of you have no problem doing this. The biggest challenge is some of you do this. Because those who want to encourage. See, here's, here's the challenge. The body of Christ is called to consider, spur, encourage. So I'm like, Scotty, I want to... Uh, Right? Until Scott gets in a crisis. And then it's... <laughs> right? But when things are good, Scott! Right? See, Hebrews 10, thank you. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 is a 24-7, 365 application. The body of Christ is the body of Christ. Whether you're at church, whether you're at Wednesday night, whether it's Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, you're still part of the body of Christ, and you're still called to be considering, spurring, and encouraging. So maybe the challenge for some is to be take that proactive role. You've been kind of passive, kind of apathetic in that area. Others of you, you're surrounded by people that want to come alongside and encourage you. And your biggest challenge is to turn this into this. This into this. That's a challenge because, oh man, man, if you know my stuff, I mean, there's, there's guilt and there's shame and there's embarrassment. But here's the challenge. Here's the truth, too. If you choose to be a lone ranger, disconnected, Okay, way disconnected from the body. <laughs> Sorry, Scott. <laughs> let's, let's put Scott back. You're in there somewhere now. If you choose to disconnect, it actually won't be very long. So you are over there. 
Eh? And then when you're there, the enemy's got you. And it's a, it's a process. It's a little process. Like I said before, the, the thing about the nature of the, 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 the devil, he's not going to come to you with horns and a pitchfork and scare you to Jesus. The devil's slick. He's going to reel you in. Very subtle. And usually in our culture, it's good and happy and comfortable. Ah, Sundays is good. You don't need the rest. So there's you. Boom, 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 boom. And you had a Wednesday for some. It's not even just Sundays. It's not even programmed. It's inviting people into your life. Coffee. Just come over and chat. Share your lives with somebody that you trust. And if you don't have that somebody, pray. And ask God to bring that somebody. And if you're scared to death about letting somebody into your life, I get that. And it's a process. Many of you I've just gotten to know, and I've known you for 15 plus years, some of you, but it was an overnight thing. Hmm? How long you guys been with us? Six years almost, right? Six years later, I see them like almost three times a week for six years. And we're still getting to know each other. It takes time. But it's, a, it's a really, not just time, it takes a choice. It takes a choice. So Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, Let us consider, it's all of our responsibility, to actually sit here and go, Hmm, I wonder, I wonder how Pat's doing. I wonder how Lois is doing. To consider the spiritual health and well-being of one another, not just the people you came with, one another. And then to be willing to spur them on, lovingly incite to action. To choose to gather, not give up Sundays and Wednesdays and whatever, for the sake of being an encourager. Did you realize, not only on a Sunday can you say, Lord, I'm going to go to church to glorify you, but Lord, I'm going to go to church because my mere presence is an encouragement. How many of you are encouraged when you see somebody here, and I'm not going to, you know, I don't embarrass somebody. How many of you are here when someone worships freely, puts their hands up, stands up, and you're like, man, I want to do that one day? Anyone? Well, that person who is just loving Jesus and chose to be here and worship is encouraging the body and they don't even know it. It's not a show thing. Your mere presence on a Sunday is an encouragement to others. Don't minimize that, guys. Don't minimize that. I've been in this 25 plus years. You coming and actively participating. Meet and greet. How many of you have been encouraged during three minutes of meet and greet? You know we intentionally do that. We, we keep it three minutes. Some pastors would go, you do what? Yeah, we have meet and greet for three minutes. Dude, you're crazy. Why do you do three minutes? Because more ministry happens in meet and greet than I'll ever know. Because you go and you hug someone and you say hi and you ask them how their week was. What are you doing? Hebrews 10.25 If you're not here being an encourager, your ministry of meet and greet is impossible. You all have a ministry when we gather and that is to encourage one another. It's that simple. It's just that simple. And if you will choose to engage in this, 
Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Watch out what God's going to do in your life. Transformation life. I put in some application. Look at the application questions in your sheet of paper there. When was the last time you took the time to consider, now you know the definition, the spiritual welfare of a brother or sister in Christ? When was the last time you came to church for the benefit of someone else? Here's an application, okay? I'll make this real, real simple, real easy. Pick someone this week to consider. Not me, Bill, or Tyler. Because we're easy. Pick someone in this room and don't tell them. Pick someone to consider. Well, what do you mean by that? Uh, well, this week you're going to say, okay, let's, I'll, I'll hypothetically pick uh, Scott. So I pick Scott. Okay, Lord, I'm supposed to consider Scott. I'm supposed to contemplate. I'm supposed to put my mind on Scott. Lord, where's Scott with you, Lord? How's Scott doing? When you pick someone, you begin. You just begin to put energy and focus on that person. And when you put it on that person, who does it come off of generally? Me. So you begin, you pick someone, and you put some consideration and time. And then you begin, what is it? Pray for him. I challenge you. Pray for someone in this room you don't even know. What? How do I do that? Well, there's a verse in here you can read. There's, the Apostle Paul has beautiful prayers. Pray for somebody in this room you don't even know. Pray for their walk with the Lord. Pray that they would know Jesus more. Just pray for someone that you don't even know. And then here, be an encourager, be an example. All of this you do in stealth mode. Afterwards, you're going to go up and you're going to talk to someone. How's your week? How are you doing, man? How things going? Be an encourager when service ends. Be an encourager before service. Be an, go into stealth mode. Say, Lord, okay, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. This happens when the church gathers. It's meeting. I can provoke. I can consider. I can encourage. Boom. All of a sudden, there's 60 people in ministry on every Sunday. That's life. When the body of Christ gets Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, a church is transformed. A church is transformed. Because everybody here is about everybody else. And we care, and we consider, and we spur, and we encourage everybody else. And here's the wacky thing. When we do that, who ends up reaping the benefit? Oh, me. Isn't God's economy crazy? You demonstrate agape love for somebody else. You invest. You drive them to an appointment. You take them food. You go visit them. You shake their hand here. And in the end, God blesses you. And you're transformed. Because here's the thing. You never know what the person next to you and behind you and for you is really going through. There's a lot of needs in this room that you're not even aware of. And a smile, and a hug, and a conversation, and maybe a prayer. You're being used by God. And someone leaves here. They're like, man, thank you, Lord. I needed that. 
And it wasn't from me, Bill or Tyler. It's because over there in the fellowship hall, you had a donut and coffee with someone. And they believed you really cared about them. The only person all week who was nice to them. The only person all week who listened. The only person all week who remembered my name. That's what the body does, guys. And as you do that, you are transformed. As you do that, this church is transformed and the church as a whole. Amen? Right? Jesus says, they will know you are my disciples, what? By your love. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Pretty simple and clear directions on how to love one another. Consider, spur, encourage. Commitment on that end, you got to show up. You got to be part of the body. You got to be part of the body. And if you do that and you engage, you'll be transformed. And you will have the privilege and the joy of helping change someone's life for eternity. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for reminding us that transformation happens in the context of us considering others. And Lord, forgive us if we've not really considered the spiritual well-being of others. And Lord, we have family members, we have friends, we have brothers and sisters in this very room who have needs. And perhaps you want to use me, us, to meet those needs. So, Father, help us to be a church. Help us to be believers, Christians, that consider one another. That choose to engage and spur and provoke in sight in very loving ways our brothers and sisters, to keep moving forward in sanctification. Lord, help us make the commitment to gather because we're all necessary. We're all necessary. And then, Lord, help us to be encouragers, to come alongside brothers and sisters, even when things are good, just to demonstrate love and care and concern. And Jesus, I think of your ultimate example of love, self-sacrificial love. Going to the cross out of your care and concern for us. And we take this communion now. We, we do it in remembrance of you, Jesus. But also, Lord, as we hold the cups, would you please... Maybe put on our hearts and minds someone this week that we would consider. Someone this week we will pray for. Someone this week we will encourage. Because that's what we're commanded to do according to Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. We don't want to just be hearers. We want to be doers. Amen. Before we uh, take communion, I just want to encourage you. 
one of the challenging things, you know, we did this where you allow someone to encourage you. You can come up, Wes. Hey, Wes. Bring it up. One of the challenging things and one of the most difficult things is when someone wants to come into your life, you may be scared to death. And it might just be pride. Just fear. And, and I encourage you, take the baby steps to let somebody in. Let them in. And, and thank you. The, the reason I share that with you is there's going to be times where you're just going to blow it. You're just going to blow up big time. And, and you're, going to thought you, you're going to think that you're so much further along than you really were. And it wasn't like you took one step back. It feels like you leaped back. And, and at that moment, it's a beautiful and wonderful thing to have at least one person in your life who is just going to come alongside you and, and not lecture and not condemn. Just listen. Just listen. And let you cry, let you rant, let you vent, and just be there. You ready to go again? Okay, let's go. That's what we do. That's what we do. So I encourage you. If you don't have that person, that's a real prayer. Lord, bring that person into my life. That's going to be there when it all goes south. Because I'm going to need that person. Amen.